Welcome to Guest Getter, the best place for restaurateurs to learn the art and science of getting more new guests, getting guests coming back more often, and getting guests spending more per visit so that you can be more profitable and do more of what you love. My name's Kyle Guilfoyle. Let's hit it. Hello, and welcome to the very first episode of the Guest Getter podcast. My name is Kyle Guilfoyle, and I thought I'd start this episode by sharing a story with you that I believe illustrates the crossroads that bars and restaurants are at right now in 2021. And you might be surprised to hear that it's not a story about a restaurant at all, but rather a retail giant. Let's go all the way back to 1886. Richard Sears, a railroad agent in Red Northwind, Minnesota, started selling watches as a side business. One year later, he moved to Chicago and met watchmaker Alva Roebuck, and the two started up their catalog business selling watches and jewelry. They operated under the name Sears Roebuck. At this time, the catalog and direct mail order business was fairly young. The first catalog ever was made just 20 years earlier selling flannel through the mail in 1861. And as you can imagine, it was a much slower time. So the two men started their business in a way that was innovative for their time. Now, riding on the back of the Industrial Revolution, the two men championed sourcing and manufacturing many, many more kinds of products. They expanded out of the jewelry niche and started producing and selling all kinds of household goods and clothing. In 1897, Sears Roebuck launched its very first general merchandise catalog, basically a print version of a mall or a Sears store. At the time, most Americans lived in rural areas. The general merchandise catalog gave Americans in small towns and on farms access to mass-produced goods that cut their costs and allowed them to make their homes in ways they probably had never imagined possible before. And voila, a market was created. The sellers of products made in factories was connected with the buyers of those who lived in rural America, which as I mentioned, was most of the country. This helped facilitate urbanization in the United States. Because factories were thriving, they needed more and more people to work at them. So people started flocking to cities. Fast forward to 1925, Sears opened its first retail store beside one of its factories. From here, their store spread like wildfire. As you can imagine, they started putting mom and pop shops out of business. By the time 1945 rolls around, the company is impeccably positioned to capture the American buying surge that happened on the heels of World War II. Sales reach $1 billion. For context, that's about $14.6 billion at the time of this recording in 2021. As time goes on, Sears launches the Discover credit card, they offer Allstate insurance in their stores, and even start one of the first home internet services along with IBM and CBS. In other words, they go in many directions and add overhead to an already overhead-intensive business. By the time we get to 1993, Many of Sears' customers were in cities and just a short drive away from their stores. So Sears decides to discontinue their catalog. At this point, they were also losing about $150 million every single year, and so they shutter underperforming stores. Now, this is a crossroads that I would like to draw a parallel to between Sears' story and the story of many restaurateurs. Because at the same time, in 1993, Jeff Bezos was huddled up in a dinky little office building what becomes the most valuable company in the world, Amazon. Let me break it down a little bit more. 
Jeff Bezos was singularly focused on championing the medium of the future, selling a single product category, books at the time. Sears, on the other hand, instead of singularly focusing on migrating their catalog business to the internet, Sears was just trying to maintain the complicated and capital-intensive business mess that they'd created. To be sure, Sears was exceptionally well-positioned to champion the internet, but they chose maintenance mode instead of innovation mode, which, as you may notice, is at odds with how they started. In 2018, Sears goes bankrupt, bringing this almost 130-year-old giant to its grave. And at the risk of oversimplifying this, I'm going to distill it down to one thing. Bezos, who focused exclusively on digital innovation, and Sears focused exclusively on maintaining an overhead intensive operation. What do so many restaurateurs and managers do today? They're often in maintenance mode. I also call this survival mode. It's an overhead intensive business. Margins are slim. They can't see the forest for the trees. And this was exactly the kind of place Sears was in. And before you dismiss it and say, oh, well, that's way different, or restaurants are this way by nature, I want you to look at Domino's. I want you to look at Chipotle, Chick-fil-A, food service businesses that are digital first. In fact, Domino's touts itself as being a digital company that happens to sell pizza. By the way, from 2010 to 2017, Domino's share price outperformed the growth of tech giants, including Apple and Amazon. Now, I'm not saying you have to become a chain or anything like that. You might hate Chick-fil-A and think it undervalues the entire industry, but ultimately success leaves clues. And there's a specific reason right now at this time in history that you do not need to be a chain or have massive budgets to play like these bigger players. It's because we're in the midst of another revolution that most haven't quite woken up to yet. That revolution is direct to consumer or DTC. We now have ready access to the tools we need to go straight to the consumer using technology. Just a decade ago, it would likely be a cost prohibitive investment to reach people online, sell stuff online, have accurate advertising attribution, and a number of other devices that the most sophisticated businesses in the world have been using for quite some time. But not anymore. What used to win was big and loud billboards, TVs, radio, etc. What can win now? is small, fast, personal, and nimble. This podcast will help usher your restaurant, bar, and food service business to harness digital, to get guests profitably, to not get taken out, but instead become a dominant force in your market, to grow, and to ultimately use the tools at your disposal to generate more profit and have more freedom in your restaurant business. I believe that a business of any kind can become a prison of our own making, something I've suffered from myself, or it can become a vehicle to freedom. And that brings me to my why for creating this podcast and this business. I've always been happiest when helping ambitious people master the tools that could help them become more free in some way. For example, I co-founded the Nimble Bar Company in 2017 to help bartenders get more freedom in their skill and improve their freedom of time and money. While building the Nimble Bar Company, I fell in love with marketing and the power and potential that it brings to every business. So piggybacking off the skill set I had built, I started working with a wide range of clients in 2018, from bigger projects like helping software companies achieve nine-figure exits to smaller projects like helping a restaurant achieve its first profitable and attributable sale from a Facebook ad. I'm finally going back to my roots and doubling down on the industry that raised me, bars and restaurants. 
A mentor of mine, Dan Sullivan, has a concept called the four freedoms. He helps entrepreneurs achieve freedom of time, freedom of money, freedom of purpose, and freedom of relationships. And these four freedoms will serve as filters for content on the Guest Getter podcast. We'll be asking, are we helping restaurateurs achieve these freedoms somehow? And that's what this podcast will be all about, turning your food service business into a vehicle to freedom instead of a prison of your own making. We'll be exploring alongside expert practitioners, successful restaurateurs, food and beverage innovators, lateral thinkers, and some of the best marketers in the world. So now that you have some context as to what this podcast is and why I've created it, I'll give you a little bit of my own background. I had an unconventional childhood in London, Ontario, Canada, where I lived with my mother, pseudo-grandpa, grandma, and aunt. They all played a role in my upbringing. When I was 11 years old, someone knocked on my grandma's door and asked if I would be willing to shovel their driveway for 10 bucks. What? I can get money from someone I don't live with to go to the movies or do whatever I want? I was hooked. I started going from door to door, giving a piece of paper that said I would shovel their driveway in the winter, and in the fall, I would do the same for raking their leaves. I was also learning how to make websites. I'd get up every day before school and read books on Photoshop and Macromedia Dreamweaver, which was a website built at the time. When I was 12, my aunt was a bookkeeper for a number of small businesses. None of those small businesses had websites. And so I made their websites. I was blown away when one of them actually gave me a check for $1,400. Unfortunately, I wasn't a very smart business person and I went ahead and spent that money on a bass guitar, amp, and a PlayStation instead of reinvesting in my business. As you could probably guess, I was stuck doing everything myself because I didn't, it never even occurred to me that I could like build a team or, you know, pay other people to help me. And so doing that at a young age became very tiring and frustrating. So as soon as I was old enough, I went and got my first restaurant job as a host when I was 15 years old. Well, I sucked at first, having had a manager once tell me, Kyle, if you don't put some pep in your step, this isn't going to work. I eventually fell in love with the buzz and hustle working in the restaurant. And I ultimately worked every part of it, from the dish pit and the line to the bar. I was also an avid choral singer, and I loved harmony. And when I was about to graduate high school, figuring that if there was ever a time to pursue a career in music, early on would be the best time to do it. So I went to McGill University for voice performance, and I did a master's of music at the University of Toronto, also for voice performance. As time went on, I was on two parallel tracks. I was performing behind the bar, and I was performing on stage as a singer. And it came to a crossroads where I had to pick just one. Music was hard for me. I wasn't a great reader. Uh, I had a neurotic warm-up process, and ultimately, it started feeling like a chore. I found performing behind the bar much more fun, rewarding, and lucrative. So that's what I did for quite a while. But 99% of bartenders have shelf lives. The only exception I can think of is my partner in the Nimble Bar Company, Nate. And I reached my expiry date around 2017. So I decided to marry my entrepreneurial spirit with the skill I had developed as a bartender and turn it into a bartender training methodology that now underpins the Nimble Bar Company. With the Nimble Bar Company, we've made just about every mistake you can think of, from starting the business like a media circus to running up our expenses without the profit to back up our logic. It's been tuition to an education that I wouldn't have had any other way, or maybe I would, but I'm just in denial. I'm happy to say that today we've helped over 150 in-person students and over 6,000 online learners make bartending easier 
and more fun. Now, in 2021, the food service business industry is at a pivotal moment. COVID has changed things. And for me, it's a rare opportunity to not only help continue helping bars and restaurants with their performance inside, it's an opportunity to help them outside. Help them market themselves, help them remind people while they're there, cut through the noise, become a dominant force in their market, turn into guest acquisition scientists, engineer their guest journey, and so, so much more that will lead them to greater freedom of time, money, purpose, and relationship. I'll wrap it up there for today. I want to thank you so much for tuning into this very first episode of the Guest Getter Podcast. If you have feedback, ideas, or would like to be a guest on the show, email me at kyle at guestgetter.co. That's kyle at guestgetter.co. And be sure to head to guestgetter.co to subscribe to this podcast as well as our Restaurant Marketing 123 newsletter. Thanks again. Happy guest getting, and we'll see you next time. Cheers.